Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigars here in Salacious Spring Hill. <laughs> I'm one of your podcast hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined by a man who will never send back a buffalo flatbread, Mr. Shane Reeves. That's right. I don't send anything back. My, I, it always amazes me when the server says, hey, cut into your steak so that we can see what, so, so that we know it's right for you beforehand. What kind of low-rent steakhouses are you going to? Well, if, if they don't have enough confidence that their kitchen knows what they're doing, I don't want to eat a steak there. I, I like a bargain. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> I like a bargain. And I also, when I saw into that piece of water buffalo, <laughs> but I've never sent a steak back. If it's a little rare, I eat it. If it's a little overdone, I eat it. I well, just there's don't. nothing they can do if it's overdone. And I'm not going to yeah. wait 20 minutes for them to fire another steak while the rest of my table eats. No, I just, I've, but I have acceptable ranges. You know, we were talking about this the other day. Temperature ranges. Mine's anything between 60 and 85. Yeah. My wife's is between 70 and 70.1. Uh-huh. So it's just kind of <laughs> depends on who you are. Which is why I was surprised that you almost suggested that we do this outside tonight. It is 50 degrees outside. It is chilly. Yeah, but I have a heater. That's true. I mean, on the back porch with the big patio heater and it's sitting out there, you can be down, the, you'd be in the 50s and still be very comfortable. Yeah, fair enough. But so we're back. We're back. We're okay, and we're back for good this time, folks. Yeah, we lied to you last time. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mean to. Life just got real, real busy. Yeah, it really did. I think we both kind of kept expecting the other person to say, "All right, when are we going again?" And it just didn't happen. Which you were actually working weekends, which you don't do. I worked more weekends in 2022 than I probably have in all the years prior. Combined. Yeah. yeah. And then I've been doing all this volunteer work at the mission, and that just has <laughs> taken a lot of my time. That's true. That's helping, true. Poor, helping poor lost people find the cigars that they need and <laughs> being sure the humidor is properly curated and setting up poker games. I mean, just tons of work. So the eagle-eared <laughs> viewer will probably notice, viewer, listener, will probably notice that we are, we've got to change venue now. Um, and, and that kind of leads into where we've been a little bit, just in the fact that my moving a little bit further away from town and and some other things have just... So Mission is going to be our home most weeks now. Uh, it's located in Spring... Right in the heart of Spring Hill. Don't try to come here during rush hour. But... Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, Spring Hill traffic... Once you figure it out, it's not a problem. Yeah, Waze brought me down, like, the back roads this time. Right. And it feels like it takes longer, even though I know it doesn't. I'll, always trust your ways. Oh, for sure. You know, that's that amazes me. It's one of those things. It's the people that hire a professional and then don't actually listen to them. Exactly. The same people that don't listen to Waze. What, why have a nav if you're not going to listen? Oh, I know better than that. Like... I used to, back in the day, I used to drive for Uber. This is, you know, six, seven years ago. And uh, it would amaze me the number. I'd pick somebody up. They'd tell me where they were going. I'd plug it into Waze, and that was gospel. Right. And probably 10% of people that would get in the car with me would say, no, don't, don't trust that. Go this other way. It's like, dude, we're heading to downtown Nashville at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Wednesday. And the Preds are in town. No, I'm listening to Waze. Absolutely. <laughs> you just sit back there and enjoy the ride. Exactly. <laughs> and all. So let's light up our cigars, and then we'll tell everybody kind of how life's been going and where toward the end of the show we'll get into what, what the cigar cast is going to look like moving forward and pushing through all of all of the information. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of chatter to get through right now. We've had, <laughs> yeah. we've had a lot of stuff going on. Why don't you go first? Well, so, Tennessee beat Alabama, mm-hmm. and we were here at the mission, and it was insane, as you might imagine. Tennessee hadn't beat Alabama for 15 years, and when Tennessee scored the winning field goal, the Padrones started flowing like water around uh, here. <laughs> I can imagine so. I bought a handful and started passing them out, and Derek bought a handful, and David, our most ardent UT fan, he would have bought a handful, but he was laying on the couch 
and just our weeping tears of joy. Yes, one of our other fans was giving him CPR, <laughs> trying to get his heart started back. I, I wasn't able to to watch the game at all. Uh, I I watch so little football that I don't even have a way to watch it on my TV at the house, and so I was listening to it on the radio, which. Honestly, I think is a slightly more pure way to experience football. Like, I really enjoy listening to football and baseball are two sports that are definitely better on the radio, I think. It depends on the quality of the radio personalities. Yeah. Well, see, UT's radio game has always been just on fire. Like, the the voice of the Vol Network, I forget his name now, um, but there's a there's a huge legacy of just great radio play by play and color announcers for the for the University of Tennessee. It makes it great to listen to. Yeah, and and most of your local most of your big time programs they've got someone that does it that's a recognizable voice. It's not just I hate the guy that does the radio for the Titans. He's just the most bland, generic Middle America. And we have a fourth down, and uh, uh, and it's like, oh, he makes Pat Summerall look seem enigmatic and chariz- charismatic. Yeah, it's just a absolute nightmare. But the the co- but I prefer college football to pro football. Oh, I do hands too. Down. Always have. Yeah. I don't care. You know, I, by the time I sit here Saturday and we watch college football, I don't turn on football on Sunday. Because I just don't care. I, they're just spoiled rich guys that, you know, would be in jail if they couldn't play a child's game. Can we talk about Amazon for a second? Amazon, the, the organization, has more data on me than my doctor and the government combined. They know my spending habits, my address, my banking information. They know my buying habits. They know all of this. And yet they cannot figure out that I do not give two craps about football. And every time I log into the Amazon app, especially on a Thursday, I just get beat over the head with the fact that they've got Thursday night football now. And it's it's driving me insane. I think it's just the fact that they paid so much money for Thursday night football yeah. that they, they have to push it. They that, just I know, but like it, you, you don't have the right audience with me. No. You, you would think they would know that. You'd they, think they the should. algorithms would put yeah. that forth to them. But go ahead and light your cigar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little story about your cigar. Well, let, let me introduce it, and then I'll light it up. So this is the Double Broadleaf by Alec Bradley. It's from their experimental series. So it's a double um, broadleaf uh, wrapper grown in Honduras that are they keep say, they say proprietary here i'm assuming it's uh it's something that they've probably genetically engineered to be a specific way uh, i don't know much about what goes into a proprietary tobacco leaf that seems kind of silly to me well when i was on my mission trip to las vegas <laughs> you're getting a big kick out of that aren't <laughs> Get you a lot of mileage out of yeah, that yeah yeah <laughs> But I, I got to go with Mission to Las Vegas and help Mark pick out cigars and kind of we were working through the humidor and what we wanted to have in the humidor here and how we wanted what would sell, what wouldn't sell. And you'll hear me over the course of the next couple of weeks mention a lot of my depth of cigar knowledge as far as what it takes to run a shop has gotten so much deeper just because I've been really really and you know this this is how i'm going to get rich trey i'm going to pay other people to let me work for them right <laughs> and it's uh, a good plan it's a i won't make it up in volume don't worry <laughs> but we um when we were at the show mark said hey you think we were talking to alec bradley i said well i don't think alec bradley's got nothing that'll sell in our shop he said well part of the people we talk to we just talk to to um just to just say hi, here's who we are. We're in Spring Hill. Shops open. Perhaps repair a little, do a little repair work on some of the previous, previous thing, previous things about Spring Hill and yeah. cigars. And um, she said, well, "Let's sit down." So we went over there and we asked him. We said, "Hey, who's our rep? Our rep's name is Jedediah," which he already had me. I mean, Jedediah. <laughs> Uh, I was like, okay, he's he's already... Uh, Is the national sales manager Balthazar? <laughs> if only. <laughs> but we sat down with Jedediah, and he handed us both that double broadleaf. Now, that was the sleeper of the show for me, because Mark and I were smoking, and I'm like, 
this is really, really good. And I've smoked, I've smoked a fair amount of Alec Bradley and never really cared for them. But that one was the sleeper of the show. It come out of nowhere. It's how many cigars had you smoked that day? Oh, just a shade over 200. Well, no, no. I mean, like, was this early in the day? Was this late in the day? Um, it was about midday. Okay. It's very grassy. Yeah, I, I'm interested. There's, there's a, to me, I have a perfect description of that cigar, and I'm not going to give it to you until okay. you've smoked more of it. Okay, because I'm not, it's, I will give you that it's incredibly unique off first puff. Like, it's. It's very, very unique. I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't love it yet. But one of, one of the f- things that I do like about Alec Bradley, because I, you know, I walked in today and I said, what are you smoking on the show? Because I wanted to smoke something of like kind and caliber. You didn't answer my question. You said, smoke this. And my first thing I said out of my mouth was, I don't really like Alec Bradley cigars. You said, trust me. Well, it was the sleeper of the show. It was the one cigar at the show that surprised us. One thing I will say, though, is that they do tend to have really good profile changes through the length of the cigar. Like The, the cigar you light and the cigar that you finish with is, it, are not the same cigar, often with Alec Bradley. So the uniqueness I'm getting off the front, assuming it makes some pretty interesting changes along the way, I, I, can, see, I can see how this would be... Out of everything you smoke at the show, how this would be unique enough to really pique yeah, your I'll, interest. I'll let you get involved in it a couple of inches before I really, before I talk to, talk more educated about it. But well, so we ended up okay. We don't have room in the humidor to carry a full line of Alec Bradley stuff. We can't carry four facings and two sizes and all of right. that stuff. We just don't have the real estate. And you know, it's funny because I actually helped design this shop. And when I designed it, we designed an 8 by 24 humidor. Mm-hmm. And I said, that'll hold all the cigars that a shop in Spring Hill will need. Wrong. Double that would be about right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, and it's just a um, 1,896 square foot spot. Yeah, I do think any bigger in the humidor, and you would have given up too much real estate in the lounge. For, for what I've seen, when I've been in here, and I've been in here during the... I'm, I'm a day cigar shop smoker. I very rarely get to the cigar shop at night. and But I have been here both day and night, and both times the real estate is well utilized. Like they did, They've done an excellent job. Of course, also coming soon, these couches that we're sitting on are leaving. Mm-hmm. These couches and love seats are leaving. If you open a cigar shop, don't put couches and love seats in it, people. It's a it's a terrible idea because it offers no versatility of seating. This is a, this is a, a point that you and I disagree on. Uh, all the every time it comes up, now, I I agree with you on premise, but I do think there is a place for couches and love seats in a cigar shop. But it should be ten percent of your seating. If you've got a three thousand square foot space. Then and you want to set up a you know a lovers corner where they can have a couch and love seat fine. Yeah, because that because that's the thing when when I come in with my wife, I don't want to sit on two easy chairs that even though they're right next to each other, we're sitting fifteen feet apart. You know, I, so I I think I think there is a place for the couch and love seat in, in a cigar shop, but I, I I do agree with you that it should be used sparingly and it should be. Only in in certain areas. It's a luxury. Yeah. It's one of those things, if you've got the extra space, you know, if if the nail bar next door goes out of business and we take over their space and we double our, our footprint, then we've got room for couches and love seats. Yeah. But in the space that the average cigar shop's going to encapsulate, which is kind of what this is, this is about the average shop. Um, you know, Crown always seemed a little bit big. Franklin always seemed a little bit small. It seemed from going around the country, this is kind of average. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd say you're about right. But yeah, like I said, I get your point. Um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the location because that's a, that's a yeah. little unique to. But this. anyway, so moving forward, let's go, let's go, let's do an article. The first one in ten months. All right. Tennessee beats Alabama. <laughs> Celebratory cigars. <laughs> I was I, so I was like I said I was listening to it on the radio. I was cooking dinner, and just 
lost it. And and I was I was so excited. I grew up. My dad went to UT, so I grew up a a, a true University of T- Tennessee household. And and so this was just, it was so exciting to be able to witness this happen again. I, you know, when I was at school at Baylor, we had a, a couple of opportunities where we beat a ranked team that we had no business beating. This was a little bit different. Tennessee absolutely had deserved to win this game. But the excitement from rushing on the field and tearing down a goalpost, like, I, I was excited for the students. I was excited for the fans who, you know, some of whom ha- weren't alive the last time that Tennessee beat Alabama. Well, it, it was funny because that was one of the things that um, every morning when I walk Ace, we walk about the same time the kids are getting on the school bus. And there was a young man as we were walking down the I was talking to your wife about this while you were gone. That's what made me think of it, yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, he didn't have a Tennessee shirt. His mom had made him one and done a great job. I Mm -hmm. mean, she had made a beautiful Tennessee shirt for him. So Glenda brought him some extra Tennessee gear we had down there, and he was wearing it the next day. And I said, remember, bud, you were not alive the last time that Tennessee beat Alabama. That oh. that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, that really makes it come together. That's um Trace Atkins drummer that just walked in. Gotcha. <laughs> he plays poker with us on Tuesdays. Oh nice. <laughs> That's why everybody stopped and waved. But so here's my question. There was less so last year when Alabama beat Tennessee. Yeah. It looked like the stadium was on fire. Which I find so funny because now I Credit to all of the Alabama fans that I know have been incredibly supportive and respectful and understanding. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, oh my gosh, rush in the field, act like you've been there before, that kind of stuff, um, as if you aren't a legacy franchise who anybody would be excited to beat. And, you know, one of the, what, what I do find so funny is yet every year, their stadium looks like they set it on fire, like you said. Uh, it was a little bit different this year. Uh, there wasn't nearly the amount. I wonder how much of that was the fans not wanting to jinx it. I think a lot of it was, okay, you know, even because Tennessee fans are a pessimistic bunch. And all, but, a weirdly pessimistic point. You know, we were taught, we were in here all week, and we were saying, "Okay, this is Tennessee's chance. They're both undefeated." We re- we were talking, and all the hardcore fans were saying, "Oh, but it's Alabama, it's Alabama." And it's really interesting. One of the, it's an interesting rivalry in the SEC. Tennessee and Alabama is like brothers fighting. They fight, but at the end, they kind of they're still brothers. Yeah, it's it's not like Tennessee not and like Florida. Florida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now <laughs> Tennessee and Florida is that's fighting. a genuine hatred. Yeah, that's that's good versus evil. That's that, light versus dark. That's, <laughs> those are the neighbors that rip each other's fence down because it's within two inches of the property line. Absolutely, that they're they're the that's the not social yeah get together. <laughs> And all, and and that and the Tennessee fans will tell you it's because of the Florida fans, and the Florida fans will, I don't know what they'll say. I don't talk to them, but the, <laughs> but anyway, so it's been very respectful, very good. But I'm just thinking, you know, one of the guys in here, he has been carrying the same cigar for 17 years, bought it in Tuscaloosa. Oh wow! <laughs> to smoke or for 15. Now this was the 16th year. He's been carrying it for 16 years. Brought it to the game with him every single year in hopes of getting to smoke it. And finally got to light it up. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty... I was talking about this with somebody yesterday, actually. Not related to the game, but how exciting it is to be a fan of cigars, which is one of the only things I can think of that continues to age when you bring it home, right? So, you know, wine does somewhat age in the bottle, but really not like it did in the cask. You know, bourbon, whiskey, all of that stuff. It really stops aging once you bottle it. But a cigar, you put it in a well-maintained humidor, will continue to change and grow and and, and age. So to be sitting on a, a cigar for that long and to finally be able to smoke it, I can only imagine how good that was. Well, and it can even, you know, it can dry out and you can bring it back to life. You know, you can do all sorts of things with a cigar. And all, so it, it's a perfect thing to smoke after the football game. Now, I know you're not a lifelong Tennessee fan, and and this is not the football cast, so we won't spend too much longer on this. But 
How how good did it feel? Because you adopted Tennessee, what, a year and a half ago as a your team? A couple years ago. A couple yeah. years ago. How we've talked about this tradition on this episode of the show every year that we've been in the last five years that we've been doing this podcast. How good did it feel to finally be able to light up the victory cigar? That felt good, but watching the guys with tears in their eyes. Yeah finally getting to light that cigar that victory cigar and not having to go in the because again brother brotherly competition yep before the guys alabama would win and the gentleman would get up and go in the humidor pick up a cigar and bring it and hand it to the alabama fans right. and say this one yeah this one's for you congratulations you know very gentlemanly oh, yeah but seeing the guys that had been so long finally get it it was it was unreal that was more fun for me than actually smoking the cigar i i can imagine that but we had a lot of fun with it 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 was a a good time had by all for sure so it from the from the institute to take all the joy out of life alabama fans smoking too many cigars doctor explains risk of one a year for 15 straight years (laughs) (laughs) this is from alabama.com you know, I'm not even going to read this. I just had to read that that tagline because, really, if if one a year for fifteen for fifteen straight years is going to kill you, you and I should have died what twenty years ago. <laughs> Here here's the deal. I used to work in life insurance, and life insurance looks in in you. With with great a great level of detail, and they are going to charge you for anything you do that isn't the most healthy choice possible. Sure, there you you ate a Twinkie in 1987. You're going to pay an extra three dollars a month for your life insurance. Even they have a one a month uh, cigar limit that you pay the same as a non-smoker. So if life insurance actuaries are saying that you can smoke 12 cigars a year, in fact, some companies say 52 a year, you can smoke one a, one a week and not have to pay tobacco user rates, I'm guessing there's not that many long-term health risks. Well, you know, I've said it before, and it's apropos to say it again. If I die tomorrow because of the cigars I smoked, I will consider the relationships I've made over a cigar and the time I've got to spend with people over a cigar and the amount of life it added to my years far surpassing the years it took from my life. Yeah. And and, and I think that's the way all this stuff goes is they, they want to try to... I think it's just people like to talk down to other people. Oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. Well, it's you know, tobacco has gotten such a bad rap because of all of the extra crap they put in cigarettes. And that's when you talk about tobacco. When you talk about tobacco, that's everyone thinks cigarettes first. And and so it's gotten this that any tobacco use is you putting your life in your own hands. And it's just not the case. Well, it's got so stupid. There's parents out there that would rather see their kids smoke weed than cigarettes. Yeah. And that and that's that's unbelievably and ridiculous. Honestly, in a in a state where it's controlled and regulated and there are legal dispensaries and stuff like that, I actually agree. I would rather see my kids smoke weed than cigarettes. The, I'd rather them smoke cigars than either of those other two options. Well, the the mental effects of weed on a developing mind are well documented. As are the effects of nicotine on a developing mind as well. Well, okay, well, we got to cut them off of caffeine too, because nicotine and caffeine about the same. They're very similar in our body's response to them, but the um, the receptors and the, the the chemical makeup makes nicotine a little bit ha- have different effects on. But but that's neither here nor there. Well, here's here's my thing. If you want to wrap your kids in bubble wrap and hide them for life and never let them be around anything that could be just a little bit risky, that's fine. See, and, But don't complain. Don't ask me to participate in that silliness. Right. Well, because that's the other thing, right, is there are, on, on, the, on the spectrum of parenthood, there, there's bubble wrap helicopter parents that don't even want their kids to know that cuss words exist. 
And then there are the people that basically, once the kid falls out of the, the mother, it's fair game. Sure. Figure, figure your own way, Johnny. And, you know, I just, I think there is so much to be said for living in that middle ground, like so much in life of, I want my kids to know that drugs exist. I want them to know why it's a bad idea to do them. I want them to know that alcohol exists, that, that tobacco exists. I want them, that cuss words exist. My 14-year-old, we let her swear in the house. There are some rules. There are some guardrails in place. But when you take away the taboo factor, it makes, it makes the... You, every year we hear about kids, every fall, kids that grew up in that super restrictive environment get to college for the first time. Maybe they're 100 miles from home or something. No one's ever going to find out. And they die of alcohol poisoning in the second week of school. You know, it, it's the same thing with tobacco like and, and, and anything like that. Well, yes. And, you know, my wife, perfect example, grew up in a heavy Catholic home. And it was years before she could hear casual cussing. Now, swearing, I don't think you should swear disrespectfully at anyone. I think I think swear word, and that, that kind of goes to the rules that we've established in our house, which is you can't swear at someone. You can't call someone an SOB. You can't say F you. You know, you can't do those sorts of things. But if, if you hit a damn good shot, on the soccer field, that you're allowed to say that. Yeah, if you if you know how to use it, and it should be used sparingly. It's not a regular part of your vocabulary. Use sparingly at the right moment. Now, there's there's something to be said for swearing being used to hold up a poor vocabulary. Although studies have been uh, conducted that have actually shown that the more that there is a correlation between heavy use of swear words and intelligence. And so, you know, we've long thought that people that swear do so out of a reduced vocabulary because they can't think of any other words to use. But it's actually a lot like how you'll use greater variance in your adjectives, things like that. Well, sometimes a swear word is the appropriate adjective or qualifier for whatever you're talking about, and it actually demonstrates a better command of the language. Well, it's it comes down to the same thing that you got to know in every cigar lounge, every high school, every wherever you are. You need to know how to know your audience. Right. Well, if I'm if I'm at my grandma's house, I'm not going to swear. I, that was the that was one of the first things when we were having this conversation with my daughter. Look, I know you know the words. I know you're using them in front of your friends. This is a this is a comfortable and I, I don't like to use the term safe space, but this is a safe environment in this house where I'd rather you feel comfortable with the language that you're going to use here. But you know, and then I laid down the gr- ground rules. Number one was about directing it at people. Number two was don't do it in front of my in laws. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that that's a big part of it is know your audience. Whether you're swearing, whether you're not swearing, whether you're talking politics, whether whatever you're going to talk about. Know your audience. Would now be a good time to, to talk about a, a slight shift in our ideology around that? Yeah. So, we, as we were discussing bringing, you know, we had an in-depth discussion over a couple of cigars about bringing the cigar cast back and being sure how we want to do it. And, you know, before we always kind of... We tried to maintain a clean show. Yeah. Now we're going to loosen that up a little. So the, really what it comes down to is by nature of the fact that we talk about a, an adult-related topic, which is tobacco by and large, we're already listed as an explicit podcast. So it's not like, and, and certainly I don't want to be accused of directing our podcast towards children, uh, which I, I don't think anybody could suggest that we are because it would be way too boring for most sure, of them. Sure, sure. But... You know, we, we, we're going to put some guardrails up for ourselves. Some of the some of the stronger language we'll still avoid, but we're yeah, I think we're going to take a little bit more relaxed and casual approach. Yeah, I'm going to treat it just like I treat my swearing in my life. Yeah, if the situation calls for it and it seems appropriate, I I will utilize it in the podcast. But don't worry, we're not going to. This no, is this not, is this not going to become Joe Rogan. No, by no means. And I'll I would. 
Well, if they, if somebody offers us that kind of money, we might talk about it. But anyway, yeah. all right. Well, let's step away for a break. We'll come back from the break. I've got a former cigar factory for sale. Got to talk about a new cigar for Drew Estate. Got a lot of stuff going on. All right, we'll be back with that more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting beside the man. His father asked him what he wanted to do for a living when he grew up. He said, I want to be either a pizza delivery boy or a pool guy. And his dad said, son, quit watching so much porn. <laughs> Trey Dedman. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> not your best work. Not my best work? Not your best work. I thought it was good. I liked it. Hey, if you're out there laughing about it right now, shoot Trey an email. Say, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a solid bump joke, Trey. <laughs> Anyway, from, but knowing that that's not your shtick, kind of, I think that may be part of it. Yeah. And all, knowing my audience. but I, Exactly. I, I know still, your audience. I still wanted to use it anyway. All right. From the Fort Bend Herald. Um, this is former cigar factory for sale in Tampa. And it amazes me. I guess I have an inflated cost in my mind of what things cost. I, I'm the same way. I... When I when I saw that the seven thousand square foot building uh, that was built in seventy six no no it was sold in seventy six when was it built um, it's a former Arturo Fuente cigar factory it don't say when it was built gotcha but the Blancos used the first floor for cabinet making and remodeled the second into a two and a half bath residence so this has got a living area yeah. In it. so what you know I was looking at this and before I read the price I thought okay. Put a price on it. And I had it about a million six. See, I was going to say about two two. Two you had about two two. Seven ninety nine five. Not bad. I have sold houses far more expensive than that here in Spring Hill this year. No doubt. So it really blows my mind that you can go purchase this for seven ninety nine five. It doesn't say much about the state of repair. It may be in a state of disrepair that we require, but. Even if you had to put two hundred thousand dollars in it, you're still under a million. Well, at 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 seven thousand square feet, if it requires even just a little bit of maintenance to get it back to to living and, and functional quality, I, I'm guessing you're probably at close to one point five before you get everything taken care of. Still a deal. Still a deal. Because I'm surprised you didn't do the math on what that comes out to a square foot. Yeah, I, did. I mean, about $100 a foot, yeah, $101, $102 a foot is what it basically comes out to. You can't even find that in Dixon. No. No, average going, you know, when people come to my office right now and say, hey, what do I need to figure for my house? I, fit, I tell them start about 230 a foot. Yeah, I have a, an acquaintance that is trying to get a 3,500 square foot house built, and he got a quote for 800 k Yeah, that's and that, about right. That was in rural West Tennessee. Yeah, that's about right. And all that's just material prices, inflation, all that sort of thing that is going up and everything. But this is a bargain. I mean, if I was looking for a summer home in Tampa, this would not be a bad investment. I do wish they had some photos of it, though. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about. And it's a 6th Avenue building. Or, excuse me, not 6th Avenue. That's where their corporate headquarters currently is. 2708 North 18th Street. So any of our listeners in Tampa, go take some photos of this and send it to us. (laughs) Shoot us us a photo of this. I would like to see what this thing looks like. I'd like to know the state of repair of this particular home. Yeah, me too. But I just thought that was cool. I thought we would touch on that. So let's talk about from blabbermouth.net. Metallica's James Hatfield teams... Is it pronounced Hatfield? Hatfield. Hatfield. Teams up with Drew Estate to create the blackened cigar. All right, so without getting too far into how how deeply embroiled in cigar shop work I've been over the past 10 months, Drew Estate sells, but you don't see cigar guys running in and saying, you've got to try this Drew Estate cigar. I think Drew Estate, I would, be, I would love to see statistics on has Drew Estate's fan base grown or shrank in the last five years. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that as well because I don't feel like they are innovating quite like they used to. Have you had the new Nicarustica? 
Yeah, I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it either. It it was sorely lacking, especially for something that's going to bear the Nika Rustica name, which you expect a lot of flavor and punch from that. Uh, I also think, for better or worse, they're taking such a strong stance in pandemic protocols, cost them at the hands of some of your more conservative smokers who saw it as a political device as opposed to them just trying to run their business in a way that kept from losing person hours on the road kind of thing? Well, we, we, we're we not going to revisit that debate. We both stand firmly on opposite sides of the spectrum in that. But I do agree that that policy was... Probably cost them some... Probably cost them some, some smokers. Yeah. And uh, and so and this is what's interesting. So I bought the freestyle pack when it came in here. Okay. That had this unbanded in the freestyle pack. And Kyle, our local rep, happened to be here while I was smoking it. And he said, "Okay, tell me what you think." I said, "This is a whiskey cigar. This is like Pappy. This is in that same vein." And of course, he couldn't tell me. He said, "That's very interesting that you say that." And then it comes out that it's off of the blackened whiskey that right. Metallica does and all that. And Metallica's kind of one of those groups that has not done themselves any favors publicly. Well, see, that's what I was. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw this. Is of of all the great personalities that I can think of putting their their name and their brand behind a cigar. I, James Hetfield's kind of a whiny baby. Yeah, it was it was him or Gene Simmons. Yeah, that was really their only two. The only way they could have gone any worse was go to Gene. I'll do anything for a buck, Simmons. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'd, I'd be interested. It just doesn't seem. Now I'm sure the James Hetfield that's meeting with Jonathan Drew and and setting up this deal is probably very different from from the guy that we as fans know. Uh, but at the or I don't think either one of us are real Metallica fans, but just the the general John Q public. Uh, so I'll be interested. I probably won't smoke it just because I don't like the whiskey, bourbon-infused, aged stuff. You should smoke one. It's not bad. Okay. But it's not amazing. Yeah. You know, and so much when we went to the show, I had 10 identifiers for what we were looking for in cigars at the shop. And one of the identifiers was, do we already have something in the humidor that does what this cigar does? And this one, I take it, you don't. Uh, well, yeah, we've got the Pappy. Oh, so. you do have the Pappy. Yeah, right. we got the Pappy. And the Pappy does it better than this one. Oh. See, and I was not a big fan of the Pappy. I, I was not a fan of the original Pappy. The new one is better. Okay. It's still, it's still only a once-a-year cigar for me. And it's it's right around the $25 mark, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. way up there. It's it's For the price, tobacco for the money, it's on the high end of the spectrum for certain. Okay. But the... Um, Drew Estate just seems to kind of be a little bit on the downturn. Lately, it doesn't seem like they're doing as much of the the, st- the stuff that made them great. Yeah, that's and that's what I say. And I was never a huge Drew Estate fan to begin with. So for me, I don't really notice the downturn. You know, but I don't see them out. I don't see... When I look for Cigar News, I don't see them mentioned very much. It's But now... The rep's still hardworking. Oh, without still a doubt. Still got social media figured out like no other cigar company. Mm, yeah. They understand it. They've really kind of got their act together on that. What are you laughing at? Did you at? see what I did? I just tried to smoke the mic. Oh. I, I used the wrong hand. <laughs> wipe, wipe that off when you're done, if you don't mind. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at least you didn't try to lie. You can it. tell it's been a while since we've done this. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm eh, not much about it. But, okay, here's my favorite story of the week. Had to touch this one. A 116-year-old cigar on display at Cigar Factory in Ybor City. So this gentleman, Ralph Stowe, who lives in Texas, friend gave him a box of cigars. And he started looking it up, and this was actually a salesman sample kit. Okay. That J.C. Newman baited, dated back to 1906. And he gave it to Newman, and they put it in their museum, and they made a donation, I'm sure a generous donation. Yeah. Actually, I think they donated some rare items to be auctioned for his charity. Okay, that's pretty. Which, that's which, a good deal. Yeah, cool way for this sort of thing to work out. I'm yeah. all for something like that working out that way, but here's my question. If you had a box of 116-year-old cigars, wouldn't you have to smoke one? I think, well, so 
I'm looking at this photo, and the top of the box clearly has some mold damage to it. Yeah, it's had it's got some age on it. Yeah, well, beyond age, that's 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 actual mold growth. Well, if I gave it a whiff and felt like it wouldn't kill me, I'd probably have to light one. Yeah, which you know, and I'll I'll be the first to admit I have smoked a moldy cigar. I've smoked sure. more than one. I, you know, and I'm I'm still still here to tell the tale. So, uh, yeah, I think it would be really hard not to smoke one. Yeah, and so Stowe... Especially they're all, like, based on how old they are, you can tell how different trends have gone in the industry where you've got a couple of Solomons, a Perfecto, a Double Perfecto. Like, they're shapes of a bygone era. And um, just, I do want to mention that Stowe works with the nonprofit Folds of Honor, which raises money for educational scholarships for family members of fallen soldiers. All right, that's a good good cause. Good good charity, good cause. We sent... um, 169 cigars cigars to warriors for warriors this year from the poker game. Okay, wow. So that worked out really well. But yeah, Newman says they're smokable. And but they're not going to do that. But I I would have had to have smoked one. I if I had thought I could have got away with it, I definitely had to have gave it a for shot. For sure. I don't think I could. So as we're kind of landing the plane, let's talk about what the future of the cigar cast looks like. Let's actually if you don't mind, let's take a quick second break, which we don't normally do, and then let's come back and talk about that. Okay. Okay, we're back. (laughs) We're not going to do a full re-intro into the show here. Well, that was rare. I don't. I don't normally pull pull the show fully off the side of the road and stop it. But that was. I had a. I, I had to take a, a quick phone call. Yeah, and there's some stuff that are that is important, has to be handled, and all. So, the future of the podcast. Um, we're going back to doing it every week. Yep. And uh, we're both committed to doing it every week and getting it taken care of and making the time in our lives to do that. Uh, you know, as we talked about it, we talked about, you know, having 200 and something episodes under our belt and really kind of getting the feel for it. And the thing I've missed the most about the 10 months off, I've missed the interaction with the listeners. So have I. And, you know, the day I called you, I was I was irritated because another person had come up to me and said, hey, what about the podcast? I've listened to this many episodes and I... I really would like some new stuff and all that. And that's happened to me multiple times. You know, and it's and people don't really approach me the way they approach you, but that, I, I've, I had been getting a lot of that as well. So the timing, I think, was right. And plus, you know, anybody who listened to that interstitial show we did back in, I think it was, what, April? You know, knows that, you know, the, the hiatus was caused by me becoming a parent again. And um, and then us both moving further, or me moving further away and kind of changing the layout. And you know, we're into a rhythm now, and we've got we've got uh, a nice sort of uh, sort of schedule and routine that we can build off of. And I feel, you know, to to take some of the pressure off of Shane, I feel like I can finally commit the time that that's needed, and that's really what it's been about. Yeah, and that's been, that's been a big portion of it. Is I don't I don't want to do the podcast with anyone but you. At all, and that's—I don't want that to sound as mushy as it does. Well, no, I mean just <laughs> full transparency because we tend to talk to our listeners that way. Which is, you know, when when I knew the baby was coming, we had sat down and had a conversation of if you know, I, I give you my blessing to find another host to to keep going with it, and you know that that just didn't make sense to the podcast at this point at that point, and it, and it still doesn't. I'm glad I'm glad you hung around because I missed it. I do too. And that being said, we are going to kind of broaden our content. Mm-hmm. You can look forward to um, a lot of people that I've met, a lot of interesting people that both of us have met, having more conversations, not necessarily with reps, but just with people in the cigar store. Yeah, you know, the feedback that we've always gotten from our listeners has been about how much they appreciate the banter and the conversation more so than they do the actual cigar industry news. Because let's face it, you and I... We know the industry really well. I've worked in it, you've worked in it, and we've both been around it long enough. And But it really, where where we carved out a place for this show was really in just 
really the fact that it's a convert it's 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 an excuse for you and I to sit down for an hour plus every week and just shoot the shit as a couple of old pals over a cigar, which is kind of the it's more the catalyst rather than the actual the what holds the show together. Yeah, so much of life is the excuses we come out come up with to hang out together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the football Saturdays here. The guys have been just as absolutely rabid to get back to football. Get back to football. They couldn't wait for football. And what they were really saying is, I can't wait to sit in the cigar shop and laugh and joke with each other and talk and eat and do all the things that we that we don't get to do when football season isn't up. And the podcast is a lot like that. And everybody's got those friends that they say, "Hey, we're going fishing," and they may not wet a line all weekend, but they're going. The fishing is why they're going. Right. There's a great episode of the show Wings where it was a crossover from Cheers. There had to be one. Yeah. Did you not like the show? Not at all. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of like Coach. Didn't but get it. it was oh, you didn't like Coach either? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this is the last episode of the cigar. No, um, but it was it was created by the same guy that created Cheers, and so there was a crossover episode where Cliff and Norm actually come to the island of Nantucket on a fishing trip, and they just spend the whole time drinking in the various bars on Nantucket. And then maybe next year we should actually catch some fish and ruin a perfect fishing trip. That's right. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing messes up a hunting trip like somebody killing a deer. Exactly. Then you've got to work. <laughs> right. Then you got to skin it. You got to do all of that sort of stuff. But uh, we got some interesting guests coming up. You know, Tom that comes here. He actually established a motorcycle club here in Tennessee. Looking and, forward to that one. Oh, the story of all he had to go through to establish this motorcycle club. I've heard it before from another member, and it's harrowing and it's exciting and it's there's su- there's such a culture there that we've never that I've never known about yeah. even exists. They're actually having bike night here while we're recording the podcast tonight, <laughs> and it's just it's kind of amazing. So that'll be a great podcast. We have. A lot of a lot of just casual people that I smoke with all the time that I want to bring in, and I want you to bring in some that you smoke with. Yeah, and we're going to change the format up a little bit. You know, we've always been pretty heavy on the cigar industry news as much as possible, but we we recognize that there are no shortage of podcasts you can go to get that kind of information, and and we really want to tailor the show to what you've told us you like and and what what really we enjoy the most about it. Yeah, we'll kind of be hitting more of the high points of the cigar industry, you know, the big stuff. We probably won't get into the minutia of a new shop opening Does in Does this Oscaloosa. mean you are never going to talk about the Cigar Smoking World Championships ever again? Oh, no, I, that, that has to. That has to arrive <laughs> and has to come up. But, okay, so wrapping it up, tell me about the what you think of the double broadleaf. It's, it's very Honduran. When I smoked it, I thought this is what a Charter Oak would be if it was a fourteen dollar cigar. Yeah, that was. It's funny because I was. That was exactly what I was thinking. Was it? It's, it's a better Charter Oak for more. Yeah, it's. It's, it's got a little bit of a metallicness to it, but not so. Not like Rockies. You know, a Rocky Patel is very metallic. This is is much. I'd be curious to know what kind of age they put on the leaves before they make it in the cigar because it, it feels a, a bit mellower, but you can definitely taste the Honduran. It's not nearly as grassy now that I'm in the back third of it. I don't know that I'd go for it very often, but I can see why out of all the cigars that you smoked at the show, why this one stood out. Yeah, it really did. And in a week where I smoked, you know, two inches of, of you know, a hundred great cigars, it really it stood out in my mind. It and the German engineered cigars, and in a future show, we're going to get into the German engineered cigars a little bit more. I'd like to figure out how to get actually get Simon to come on the show and talk to us because he was super interesting at the show. His his view on cigars is more spiritual than physical, mm-hmm. uh, which is really exciting to which talk you wouldn't to somebody from like a German. That. No, you wouldn't at all. But it, because technically he's so sound, I think he has more room to do stuff like that. I. Yeah, he's not he's not struggling to get the physics down. It's it's the it's the improv musician that can only be an improv musician because they spent thirty years studying the craft. Absolutely, and he, he he's a super interesting guy. And 
there was a lot of good folks we met on the show at the show. There was one company that I've not even been able to smoke their cigars since I met them at the show. They were such jerks. <laughs> And all, and I'm not going to trash anybody on this on the podcast. That's never been what it's about, nor shall it ever be. Right. But it's it's very interesting as you come in, and as we go through the weeks, I'll start talking more. Um, I'm developing a theory on the living organism that is a humidor. Okay. And how to battle humidor fatigue, and how to know where your real estate's going to be, and what's going to pay for itself, and what's not, and it's. I'm I'm really excited over the next with the help of you and our listeners kind of fleshing out the what, finer details. Yeah, what is the living organism of a humidor? When do you know a cigar has run its course in a humidor? Yeah. How long does it need to break and what cigars are too similar and what do you need to do to Are you talking about home humidor or commercial humidor? Commercial humidor. Because I feel like there's probably some bleed over in, into your home humidor as well. Oh, absolutely. Because I experienced that. I, I at, Around Memorial Day, I loaded up my humidor with about 120 sticks. And I've slowly been smoking my way through it to the point that I'm down to my last bundle because I had more of one particular cigar than I did any others. And now I'm, I could smoke that. Or I could go to the shop and get something different, and I'm 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 doing that because it has it has overstayed its welcome. Yeah, and we're going to be fleshing that out over the next couple of weeks. It's going to make for some interesting conversations as I as I lay it out. Because I, like I said, I get to work very closely with the guys, and the guys that bought Mission are top notch. They have done an amazing job putting this place together and making it the the place that it is. So. We're very excited, um, very excited to get back to it. Yeah, and a little teaser for next week, and this is this is pretty exciting for me because I've been sitting on some cigars for almost a year now. Last Christmas, my in-laws got me four cigars, two each of two different cigars, unbanded from a shop that I don't even remember where they got it from at this point. They had... The shop owner put the description of the two cigars in an envelope, which is still sealed. They've been sitting in my humidor since Christmas. So next week, I'm going to bring the first of those, and we're going to blind taste them and see if we can figure out what they're all about. And then we'll open the envelope here on the show and see how close we can get. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. (laughs) 